Hi, everyone. I'm Em, and welcome back to the Your Stories podcast. Um, this week, we have Dania, who is um, our guest for episode two of the Addiction and Recovery series. Um, like I said in the first episode, if you heard it, I will be hearing these stories for the first time along with you all. So I'm not ent- entirely too sure of what all will be said. There will be a trigger warning in the description if needed. So if you did not read that, please go back and read that first before you decide to continue on to the episode. But she's going to um, share her story with us. And I just want to say thank you for coming on and tell us about yourself. Hi, thank you so much. Um, my name is Danya. I'm originally from the northern Midwest region of the U.S. Um, I am enlisted military, so there will be, uh, I'm going to put out a trigger warning. There's going to be talking about, you know, military sexual assault as well as miscarriage in my story. So if that's something that bugs anyone, I would suggest just not listening to the episode because that's mainly what I'm going to be talking about. Okay. But, um, yeah, like I said, Danya, I'm enlisted. And um, growing up, I was I was uh, really sheltered. And so when I got into the military, it was a whole new world for me. I, it was, it was like a, a candy land of all the worst things sort of for a lot of people who join. And yeah. um, so my first military sexual assault was four months into my enlistment and my first military rape was six months following that so 10 months into my enlistment and at this point I was I was in training I didn't know heads from tails so I reported my assault and nothing came from the report um they they didn't decide to give any punishment or hold the individual accountable for any of their actions Mm -hmm. and i was given a new job in the military and i was moved across the country and unfortunately that chain of command was not brought up to speed on any of my situation and so the my rape had left me pregnant um i i actually got pregnant even though you know during the rape kit they give you a uh they give you a plan b and everything but uh mistakes happen and mm-hmm. i got pregnant and i had to pt test when i got to my new unit and i ended up miscarrying due to that as well as a thyroid thing but that all led me um, to developing severe post-traumatic stress to the point where, you know, I, I couldn't leave my house. I was showing up late to work if I showed up at all. Um, and it led me down a really, really dark path of depression, anxiety, to the point where, you know, I was, I had attempted suicide two times. And the second time, uh, my roommate walked in and I was hospitalized for six weeks in uh, a PTSD treatment facility. 
And up until that point, the way that I had dealt with my post-traumatic stress was alcohol. And even though at that point I was underage, I was in a place where I knew a lot of people who would buy me alcohol as long as I provided a place that they could drink it and not get in trouble. And so yeah. being higher ranking than them, not being in the, the, uh, the dorms, I had a house and I was good to go. And so I drank all the time, uh, a lot all the time to the point where it nearly got me kicked out of the military and it probably should have gotten me into the, out of the military if we're being honest, but it not only did the alcohol negatively affect my career, but it also led me personally to into a lot of dangerous situations, places I should not have been in, uh, sleeping with people all the time, just to try and make myself feel better about the fact that, you know, I was raped and I didn't know how to deal with it. I miscarried and didn't know how to deal with it. I really didn't feel at home in my own body anymore. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, that I felt worthless. I felt like, you know, the military was supposed to be my family because my family and I, although we've grown very close after I joined, I felt as if the military was where I fit. It was my niche and it was where I was supposed to be safe and supposed to be taken care of. And instead of being taken care of and instead of having this family around me and upper leadership taking care of me, they, they swept it under the rug. And so that was, I couldn't, I just didn't personally know how to deal with that. So double props to anyone who has that, like dealt with that, because I know how hard it can be. But um, it led me into some, some sketchy situations where, you know, I, if I hadn't had people around me that cared about me, my friends and stuff, I don't know if I would even be alive at this point. I don't know where I would be, because there was some there was some stuff that, I mean, just hanging out with the wrong type of people, all that. But um, I was PCS'd out of that job as well into a, a desk job. And when I PCS'd, I was forced to sober up because I was still underage and I couldn't have people buying alcohol for me because I didn't know anyone at this base. Mm -hmm. And so when I, through the process of sobering up at this new base, it was absolutely miserable. And it led me even further down that traumatic rabbit hole of, I can't self-medicate with the alcohol anymore because I don't have access. So I was having to deal with memories and deal with the sleepless nights and the, just everything that comes with that. Just the overwhelming amount of terror that you feel throughout your day and so that was actually the point where I attempted suicide for the second time and my roommate because when I moved they moved me back into the dorm so I had a roommate at this point who walked in and uh called my first sergeant you know got all of command involved and they sent me to this PTSD treatment facility for six weeks and when they did that, the first thing they did when I got to this facility was put me on medication. 
and the medication helped to the point where that was my new alcohol that was Mm. okay that was how you know I was able to do my job show up anywhere outside of my room you know function in society like able to act like a person even if I was taking the medication that made me feel less really alive and connected with reality is it the medication would uh, really, the, the dosage that I was on for my uh, for my diagnosis was through the roof, specifically my sleeping medication. And the kind of medication I was on, uh, it's called Lunesta, which is not a very common drug, but it's, it's common in the sleep drug world. And the thing about Lunesta is you take enough of it, you start to kind of hallucinate a little bit and you just, and then you completely just black out and you don't remember anything until you wake up about 15 hours later. Oh, so it's like Ambien. It's, it's a lot like Ambien. Yeah. It's like, it's like baby Ambien sort of, but if you take enough of it, it's not like baby Ambien anymore. It's like a lot of Ambien. And so Mm -hmm. I would, um, I would just take, I was taking probably five or six times the recommended or my prescribed dosage as well as mixing it with my anti-anxiety medication. Um, And so I would just go into this rabbit hole and not have to think about anything. I wouldn't have to deal with anything because I would sleep for hours and hours and hours. And when I woke up, I wouldn't remember a thing. And for someone with post-traumatic stress and like reoccurring nightmares and everything, that's a really, really attractive, attractive way to live because you don't have to deal yeah. with your trauma. You don't have to focus on who you are. You can just focus on literally nothing for, you know, 60% of your yeah. day. And so that became my whole life was just going to work and getting out as soon as I could. So I could take my medication and go to sleep. And when I wasn't taking my medication, it, I would get a lot of withdrawal effects, which is odd for a sleeping medication, but the the medication is strong enough to the point where you will get the, the shakes and the chills and everything. And, um, and so I was on this medication for a long, long, long time. And at the same time that I was prescribed the medication, it was about seven months later that I had my 21st birthday and had access to alcohol again. So then I started back on the alcohol and mixing the two, which was also not good because I would spend my day, I would go to work drunk, hide it the best I could, go home, go to bed. And that was my entire life. And it was, it was all right for, for a moment because I was, didn't have to deal with reality at all. And it was super nice until one of my friends pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, Danya, you're losing a lot of weight. I'm really concerned about you. And it was at that point that I realized that 
I hadn't been eating anything for days. I would just go home and go to bed. And so I had struggled earlier in life with, uh, with anorexia and which I personally consider, you know, an addiction. It's like an addiction to measuring your caloric intake and an addiction to being lighter, to being that, getting closer to that perfect ideal of yourself. And I hadn't realized how far I was falling back into that. um, I mean, I had to put on a, a lot of weight to join the military, which was hard for me, but it kind of broke that cycle. And I didn't realize how far after I was assaulted, I'd fallen back into that hole. Because it's one thing that throughout all of it, the whole, the only thing I could control was what I ate or what I took, even though I couldn't control it, it seemed like I could. And through mm-hmm. all of the process of, you know, being uh, reclassified oh. twice and losing my baby and losing, you know, everyone that I knew in the military and jobs that I was really passionate about. And it, it felt like my entire world that I was losing, being shuffled around to all these different training bases all the time. The only thing that was a constant in my life at the time was alcohol prescription medications and anorexia Mm -hmm. and it was the only way that I could feel at home in my own body because I didn't have to feel my own body really um and so it kind of all came to a head one day when I got uh I got put I was pulled out of class and put into a leadership position at my unit that um, one of my sergeants came up to me uh, about midway through the day and said, Hey, you know, Danya, what's like, are you, are you sober right now? What's going on right now? I don't understand. And I, I didn't know what to say because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I was so far into the avoidance hole that I had no idea what to do with myself because I mean, here's someone representing everything that really, you know, screwed me over and kind of took away everything I thought. I mean, um, a male sergeant wearing a military uniform was just in my mind just the epitome of of everything that I had lost and so I I went home that day and I was like I don't I don't know what to do right now I don't know I don't know if I can go into work drunk anymore because obviously someone noticed and I have Mm -hmm. you know 90 troops that are counting on me to figure out my shit so that, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, uh, figure out, no, you're good, (laughs) figure out my shit so that I can help them get to where they need to be and get on to their next base and do their jobs and everything. And so I, I called up one of my good friends who had actually gone with me the night that I was raped to the hospital. I was like, Hey, I don't know what to do. I don't know 
you know, I need help. And she said, you know, uh, you need to go, you need to go in to the clinic. And I was, I was so mad at her. I remember being so pissed off. I was like, so mad that she thought that I couldn't deal with it on my own. And clearly I couldn't control any of it, but I thought that I could. And that pissed me off um because it felt like one more person you know kind of against me but I mean she was doing it out of love and so after a few weeks of her you know pestering me every single day multiple times a day hey Danya go to the clinic Danya go into the hospital Danya go get help I went in and I said hey um I'm not really feeling the best and so they pulled up my medical record and they they checked me out and they said oh like I see that you've been renewing this prescription a lot you've been requesting more like are you sleeping okay I was like oh yeah I'm, I'm sleeping they're like well how much are you sleeping I was like oh, I don't I don't know like a lot and <laughs> it was really really awkward trying to open mm-hmm. up to that conversation with somebody who I didn't know and when I finally was kind of able to spit out you know I'm sleeping about 16 hours a day they f- lost their minds almost it felt like they went they went a little bit crazy they were like what the fuck are you doing why are you doing this and so I was like I I think I need to talk to, you know, a mental health provider. And they, they were like, well, why would you need to do that? You know, just take you off the meds. It'll be fine. And I was like, no, I need to talk to someone. Like, I'm not, I'm not feeling too great, you know, in my mind. I don't, I don't think I can stop. So they referred me to mental health, which took about a month to get into. So during that month, I was, I was uh, trying to stop drinking and it mm-hmm. was it was rough but um it got to the point where I would I was only having two drinks a day that was a win for me I said you know I'm only having two drinks a day right now that's that's okay I hadn't gone into work drunk for about three weeks by the time I got to the clinic which I was I was so proud of and I was like hey, doc, I haven't gone to work drunk in three weeks. And they were like, you go to work drunk? I was like, not anymore. And so um, I was able to kind of stop the the craving for alcohol, but that that craving for the medication was still very, very, very strong and very controlling in my life to the point where I couldn't function without some sort of dose of medication in my system and um, Mm -hmm. so I was I would be cutting my sleeping pills into little parts to take throughout the day so that I could just function and do my job until I could get home and sleep and so I got in and my my therapist at the mental health was was a genius she's absolutely incredible she she said hey like why were you put on this medication I was like you know I was put on it at this civilian hospital and I was put on it for post-traumatic stress she said oh post-traumatic stress let's talk about that I said let's not 
and so after a few weeks of going twice a week, she she finally pulled it out of me. Um, and we talked a little bit about my rape, and I didn't mention anything about losing my baby at that time because I hadn't told a single person about it. Not my mom, not my best friend, no one. And so I just we only focused on me being raped. And we went through a bunch of different types of therapy, including, I mean, we did prolonged exposure, ER, written exposure, and then I finally opened up to her about my miscarriage, and she said, oh, I wish you would have said something sooner. There's this, uh, there's this program called Internal Family Systems Therapy that I want to try with you. And I said, okay she said okay like what are the biggest driving factors in your life and that really got me thinking I was like I don't know and immediately the first thing I said was sleep and that was that was a huge wake-up call to me I was it wasn't my family it wasn't trying to be better uh for myself it wasn't even the self-loathing anymore the feeling so uncomfortable in my own skin anymore it was I need to sleep I need this medication um Mm -hmm. really I need to avoid everything (laughs) and um she said okay so she chose she had me bring in people she had me bring in a bunch of people all at once I, I think I brought in about seven people with me to therapy in this big room it was super awkward Um, And I said, she said, okay, you're going to pick one person to represent your Lunesta, your sleeping medication and your addiction to it. So I chose one person and she said, you know, where do you want them to stand? Position them in the room. And so I positioned them and she said, you know, what do you want to say to that? Lunesta like what do you want to talk about to the Lunesta and so after quite a few comments she's like like it's okay you can you're allowed to really say what you feel here and (laughs) I walked across and punched them in the gut and (laughs) (laughs) they were not expecting that (laughs) And I just got this burst of anger inside of me that I hadn't felt in a long time because I was using this medication as well as my anxiety medication that I was on to stop feeling. And so I just, I I don't even know what came over me, but I, I literally walked across and punched him in the gut. And <laughs> there they're probably thinking she said say what yeah. you're feeling not <laughs> yeah I actually did get told that. <laughs> she said I'm glad that you were able to do that but let's not do that ever again I was like okay I'm sorry I don't know what happened she said you know are, are you feeling okay after that I said uh no and I just started crying I, like, I, I don't know what made me Aww. do that I'm so angry and I'm I'm so I'm, I feel so uncomfortable looking at this. She said, why is that? I said, I mean, I, I hate who I've become. Looking at this person makes me think about, you know, 
who I've become right now. And I mean, I haven't talked to my family, my friends. I haven't mourned the loss of my child. I haven't mourned the loss of my jobs, my career, any of it. I haven't, I haven't gone through the stages of grief. I've just been avoiding it. And uh, we repeated the process a few times. And then she had me bring up someone to represent uh, food. And so we went through a lot of the same process, minus punching someone in the gut. Um, And Mm -hmm. we kept doing it. And then she had someone come up to represent addiction uh, to alcoholism. And she brought someone up to do that. And we repeated that process. And then she brought someone up. She brought in her own her own kid. And she had me uh, position her own child to represent uh, my baby that I have lost. And that was so hard and I remember thinking you know why would she do this to me like how am I supposed to look at this kid and talk to this child like I don't know what to do here and I ended up walking over and hugging him and um and (laughs) Once I stopped hugging him, that was probably one of the first breakthroughs I had had in the whole process of this, which was, I mean, conducted over months, Um, not even counting, you know, the prolonged exposure that I had done, the written exposure, the EMDR. So this had been a very, very long process to get to the point where I hugged this child Mm -hmm. and had you know sort of an aha moment in my brain which was also um it came with a a big dose of dopamine in my brain like I could feel my brain producing dopamine almost and I hadn't Mm -hmm. felt dopamine in my brain in a very long time in I mean years that I was using this medication and the alcohol and all these downers and it was overwhelming and then I started laughing and then I started I must have looked hysterical probably this poor kid probably cried the whole way home but it was so influential in my life and after after that moment um obviously I still struggled which is one of the worst parts of addiction is you have these moments and they feel so good and you're so empowered and then all of a sudden you go home and you can't sleep and you take a pill or two pills or three pills or however many pills you're taking so I went Mm -hmm. back later that week to my therapist and I said you know I felt really good the last time we left and I felt good for about a few hours after that and then I crashed and I felt like absolute dog shit I felt rough and I took I took Lunesta I I took my medication I took too much of it and she said who who has your medication right now you know who 
who's keeping track of what you're taking? I said, no one, it's my medication. I'm a, I'm a grown adult. And she's not anymore. You're not. And so she had me give my medication to someone who I was able to talk to. So I actually ended up giving my medication to hold on to, to this sergeant. And the sergeant that had called me out for being drunk on duty. And I explained the situation to them and I said, listen, I don't, I don't know you as a person, but you called me out and I need you to keep me accountable for this. And so my sergeant would give me one pill at eight o'clock every night and then he would go home and I would go to bed and I would lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and try not to feel anything and it was months of this until I was talking to again my therapist because god bless that woman um and she said you know why are you so afraid of feeling I said I I I don't don't know what do you mean and she said well you keep trying to avoid feeling why are you so afraid of what what might come up like what's what's going on in there and that also made me think and I said you know I don't I don't quite know but I I mean I I used to I used to feel a lot of things and I haven't in a long time I mean I can't be in a stable relationship right now because I I can't control my medication use I can't control how much I sleep no one wants to be in a relationship with someone who sleeps 18 hours a day um I mean I can't I can't feel attached to anyone or anything besides this bottle of pills and it was super chaotic and I was so afraid of forming that attachment again because the last person I had really trusted was the man who raped me And then the last person I loved was my baby who had died. And so I was so afraid of that feeling coming back up again, that loss and that trauma reoccurring over and over in my life that I was completely blocking myself off from anyone that could help me. Um, In my, I'm a book of uh, spoken word poetry that, Uh, one of the poems talked a lot about that how you know you end up pushing away anyone who could love you because you're so afraid of of what that might bring up in yourself you don't you're afraid of what you know what they think about you you're afraid of what you think about you you're just so afraid of everything that you latch on to the one thing that you know isn't going to judge you which for me was this prescription medication and mm-hmm. so um, it's actually been about uh, five months since I gave uh, my supervisor my medication. And so I'm still, I'm still in the recovery process, um, but I have mm-hmm. cut down to, um, to half a dose every night which is uh, only 1.5 milligrams, but it knocks, it'll knock you out quick if you're not 
tolerate if you don't have that tolerance built up. But um, uh, part of a lot of my recovery has been um, the accountability of having someone who, you know, I've, I've become very close to, um, but I didn't initially trust. I mean, it was, it was a lot of taking that step into the unknown because I mean, I, I couldn't allow myself to trust. And when I sort of forced myself to, I was, I was giving them, you know, the, the thing that I valued most in my life. And I said, you know, here you go. I need this every night and I can't take more than one. And they didn't ask any questions. They just, they said, are you sure? I said, yep. And they said, okay. They took it and they did it. And, um, and that accountability was, and also the accountability to my therapist uh, was one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, thing for me in my process and in my continuing process of recovery, uh, being, you know, brutally honest with myself during therapy was another huge thing um, that internal family systems really, uh, it makes you visualize everything that you don't want to deal with, you don't want to see. So dealing with that trauma in order to deal with my addiction was huge biggest props to my therapist for that because I was for the first couple months I was with her I was feeding her so much bullshit um and she she didn't give up she just kind of stuck with it and waited for me to tell my story when I was ready and that was that was so big for me because I was so used to people forcing the story out of me and you know um it was very re-traumatizing a lot um which led to, you know, the suicide, the alcohol, the hospitalization, which led to the medication. And so a big thing was addressing the root of the issue as opposed to just my dependency on the medication. Like I would have, if I would have gone through um, like the, the sober programs in the military, you know? Um, and then mm-hmm. the other biggest thing for me um, that I continue to do um, is yoga. Um, yoga has helped me with not only my addiction, but my post-traumatic stress so much because it's really helped me um, kind of come in back into my own body after um the medication and the PTSD leaves me now completely out of my body to the point where like, it feels like I am not physically in my body or the world will uh, look like it's, you know, everything's in 2d. Um, and the, the yoga has really helped me take intentional time to reconnect with my body and my mind and realize, you know, look at all of the first thing I really noticed was I didn't know I could do that look at what my body just did like it should not be able to twist the way that it just did and I'm very proud of it for doing that um and yeah being able to recognize you know one good thing about what I just did was uh not only super influential in my um meds uh, medic- my med dependency and my post-traumatic stress, but also my eating disorder. Um, 
because I was I was at the point where I mean I didn't even weigh 100 pounds um and so it was it was bad um I was I was nearly hospitalized I went to the ER a couple times for it um but the yoga really really helped me I wouldn't say that I'm at the point in my recovery yet where I can say you know completely honestly hey like I feel at home in my body and I, I mean, I love my body, but, um, it's definitely when I'm actively doing yoga, I can feel at home in my body and I can appreciate at least my body. Um, even though, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I would, I blamed it for everything. I mean, I've, I've put my body through a lot of crap, not just, I mean, my mind is obviously a big part of it, but I mean, the alcohol tears on you, the the meds tear on you, the obviously the eating disorder, the attempted suicides. I blamed my body for my miscarriage. Um, and so yoga is actually one of the biggest things that I do for myself now. I do about two hours a day, one hour in the morning, one hour in the night. And even like waking up an hour early obviously sucks, but it's one of the best things that I've ever done for myself without a doubt I will say that's um very commendable especially because I'm also in the military and thinking about waking up an extra <laughs> hour early oh, <laughs> it's the I, worst I, I can't it's do it worst. I don't have the discipline for Thank it you. so kudos Thank to you. you yeah it's um my the person I live with now actually has to be up about two hours earlier than I do just to go to work so I just I make them wake me up when they're leaving and it actually works out really well because then at least I'm like awake and I can't hit snooze on someone who's really loud um so I I have Mm -hmm. them wake me up and then I set alarms for after they're gonna wake me up so I don't go back to sleep but it's become almost better than sleep it's I mean it's obviously not at that point but um you know it's it's um it's it's calming yeah it's It's calming yeah exactly it's definitely I mean it's it's, replacing uh, drinking a few a few drinks before work with yoga is I I was it was really gratifying to myself I felt better about myself as a person um, and I felt a lot better about myself as a leader um, because I mean, going through all of this, I could, it kind of opened up my eyes to uh, really how shitty I'd been to all of my, to everyone who's underneath me. And um, the yoga instead of the drinks definitely helped with that. <laughs> um, and it's been really cool to see I mean, even though I've had to take sort a smaller step back um, in my leadership role and give about 50% of my duty to someone else so that I can go through this treatment has been really cool to see how, um, how the people under me have really come up into their own, kind of figure out things that work for them and uh, seeing how my dependency and my recovery is really affecting their lives as well. Uh, I also think it's really good that you just have that support to begin with 
because it's it's hard oh, to find yeah. in the military when when service members go through these issues because you know you didn't have support when these traumatic oh, uh, incidents happened to you mm-hmm. yeah. there's no support then but mm-hmm. you know now mm-hmm. unfortunately but grateful that you know oh. you are getting mm-hmm. the support it's just sad that it's so later on to where you spiraled but it's you know, people even then they don't get the support like that, like you do. And it's, it's sad that Absolutely. not everyone is yeah. as fortunate to have people back them up. I mean, like you said, you, you probably, you could have been kicked out and they didn't. And I know you've seen just like I have people get kicked out because they're spiraling and instead of trying to help them or give them chance after chance, they're like, okay, well, you're not cut out for the military, oh, so to the house you go. Yeah, uh, I don't know what I would have done without the command that I'm in. I mean, if I was in the civilian world, I would probably be dead by now, honestly. I would, I would have either overdosed on my medication or I would have killed myself. Um, this command that I'm in is incredibly supportive seeing the way that they've they've dealt with my situation they've dealt with other sexual assaults that i've uh been aware of in in my own troops um the way that they deal with everything i mean i i love i love their approach to it um i i don't honestly think that i would change my experience it's been so rough and Mm -hmm. there are parts of it obviously that I wish were different, but it has led me to the point where I'm, I am able to uh, start to appreciate things in a completely different light than I would have been able to. And I'm able to have this opportunity to talk to you and, um, you know, kind of push my story out there And I'm able to talk to my troops in a way that, I mean, they, they don't know exactly what I'm going through, but uh, I'm pretty open with them and they know, they know enough to know, you know, hey, this is, this is someone who gets it and they're not gonna, you know, kick me, kick me to the curb for this one thing. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna be straight up with me. They're gonna be honest with me and tell me when I'm fucking up, but they're not gonna you know, they're going to do it with love. And um, so it's been, it's been really cool to, um, to be able to, uh, like I said, take that step back and kind of appreciate the things that this absolutely awful uh, experience and this absolutely awful road where it's led me. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a few questions, if you don't mind. So when um, they hospitalized you and, you know, they put you on the Lunesta, did did they ask you, like, you know, what's up, what's going on? Or were they just like, no, we need to get this girl medicated? uh, Medicated first, tried therapy afterwards, um, like we like to say. Like, the first day in there, I wasn't – they actually – kept up bumping me onto different sleeping medications until they settled on Lunesta. So I started with Trazodone 
um, and I couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. Uh, before I went in, I was getting about an hour and a half of sleep a night. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so they they put me on they put me on all the medication, and then um, they had me on this. Uh, they had me on ugh, some. It was like a blood pressure medication, but they only gave me like a small amount. It was supposed to help mm-hmm. with uh, nightmares, and it did for a little bit. But then uh, they found out I already had low blood pressure, so then they stopped that, and it was a whole mess until they settled on Lunesta. And then after. Uh, after I started sleeping, we started in with prolonged exposure, um, which was very, very difficult for someone who is still stuck in avoidance, in absolutely being set on avoiding things. Because, you know, prolonged exposure is just you tell your story, uh, the most traumatic part of your story in as much detail as you can possibly give. Um, and it's being recorded and then every wow. day you listen to it over and over and over again for at least an hour a day. Um, and then along with that, oh, wow. that's called uh, imaginal exposure. And then along with that, you're doing what's called in vivo exposure, which is where, you know, you write a list of things that uh, really trigger you, really set off that, uh, that fight or flight. So for me, um, for an example, this the movie that was playing during my during my assault, um, the soundtrack to that movie would just send me into an absolute frenzy, or the smell of toilet bowl cleaner, or you know the the deodorant that they were wearing, stuff like that, like physical mm-hmm. things, or you know going to my, one of mine was going yeah. to uh, open air malls. Um, all that would just absolutely send me over the edge. And, um, and so you go out and you do that stuff for your therapy, um, which is super hard. Or uh, for another part of it is for alcoholism, they'll take you, they'll take you to an alcohol shop, and you will pick up your bottle, and you will take it to the cash register. And then you will turn around and put it back on the shelf and then walk out. And it's incredibly difficult, obviously, to do that. Um, I would say the in vivo exposure definitely helped a lot more with uh, me being able to do a job and, you know, function in society. Um, the imaginal exposure mm-hmm. was not my cup of tea. It didn't it didn't help me. So I think the fact that we finally settled on that, uh, the IFS, the internal family systems, therapy was absolutely incredible. I was so gifted to have someone who knew about it because it's so small. It's a very niche thing, but um, yeah, I was, I was really lucky with that. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I see, I don't know very much about like different um, therapy techniques that are used and some of that's just you talking about it like that just sounds traumatizing and that doesn't sound like it would help yeah <laughs> for some people but I guess it does work for yeah, some so and PTSD others it doesn't is very hard yeah. um prolonged exposure the the one I was just talking about the recording and stuff that's the most proven mm-hmm. effective 
um, and it's only effective about 30% of the time. Yeah, it's a, it's oh, a wow. very difficult thing to give therapy for. Um, especially in people who don't self-refer because, I mean, those of us who didn't self-refer, we're not ready to go back and relive that in no environment is safe yeah. enough to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. It exactly, should be something yeah. on your terms and yeah, you but didn't get that time, chance. I never would have taken it. Like, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for what happened. Um, I don't, I wish that I personally would have dealt with my stuff differently than I did. But um, if it had to go one way, I'm glad it went that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so my next question is, because you mentioned after the NCO confronted you, mm -hmm. you said you'd called your friend. So, so you were mad yeah. because you didn't like her response. What, what were you looking for her when you, like, what did you want to Honestly, hear versus what you heard from her? I don't anything would have been a good response for me to hear at that point. I just... I just, I don't know, I guess I just wanted mm -hmm. to spit it out. Um, I don't think I yeah. wanted to hear, I don't think there could have been a good answer that she would have given me. Um, and I think the answer she did give me was the most loving possible answer, which was what I needed. Um, I mean, she didn't, she didn't beat around the bush. She didn't, she wasn't, oh, are you okay? Let me try and fix it. You know, she was very, go get help from a professional. Like, it's, yeah. I'm so thankful yep. that she didn't give me a choice. <laughs> she... Yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything I wanted to hear from her yeah. that would have helped me feel any better about myself in the short term. Okay, cuz I was I was wondering if maybe you were upset because you really just you wanted to vent and and you didn't get that. You got the you you need to go yeah. talk to somebody yeah. like this mm -hmm. is getting out of hand you know because you know people will be like okay do you want me yeah. to listen or do you want me to give mm -hmm. you suggestions or you know hello where you think yeah i'm there did it okay. cut out a bit? All right. Okay. Um, my next question. Your family keep everything from them. So I called my mom as soon as I got back from uh, getting my rape kit done. And she flew out the next day to come and spend some time with me. Um but I did not tell them about the miscarriage until um, until I had that breakthrough in the internal family systems. Uh, and I told them and um, we actually celebrated, we celebrate his birthday every year, um, which has been really sweet. Um, and and I, uh, I told my my brothers, I have two brothers. I actually told them this past year. Um, 
which has been very, very therapeutic for me as well. Just opening up about, you know, my baby and the fact that, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for me seeing my little brother or seeing my brother's kid, uh, was difficult for me. Um, but it was also really, really, really great. Um, and so they know about that. They don't, they know a little bit about the alcohol, um, but they don't, they definitely don't know the extent to what it's gotten just because I don't, um, we're not on that level yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, cause you mentioned your, you wrote a little, uh, book with poems, like poetry yeah. kind of, or yeah, is it- it's, uh, definitely, it's very like free verse, uh, free verse spoken word. Um, I was going to publish it this past week and then um, some stuff came up and I wasn't able to, but hopefully that'll be coming out soon on Amazon, just under the name Danya. Um, it's going to be called um, Verses I Should Have Sung. What, um, what, what pushed you to um, write this? Um, my therapist had me start writing down what I was feeling we were talking about um it was that day that we started talking about you know why are you scared of feeling and I said you know I don't know and she said why don't you write a little bit about it because we had done that written exposure therapy and she knew that I was more comfortable writing about things than talking about them and she said Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that you're, you like listening to music, you like poetry, why don't you try writing some about your experience and why you're afraid of feeling. And so all throughout my therapy and my recovery, I've been writing. And so this little booklet I've been putting together is um, kind of an inside glance at it it's definitely not everything I've written it's just you know small pieces of things from here and there but um it's kind of a look at a road uh how I've gone along the road it starts out you know right after I was raped and uh goes up until where I am today mm-hmm. so um did you find that did you find did you like writing therapy Or was it hard at first? It was so difficult because writing it for me really made it tangible. I mean, I could, I could Mm -hmm. feel the bumps where I had pressed into the page. I could see the words. Uh, I'm a very tactile person. It made made it very real for me. And it was awful at first. Um, but when I started writing the poetry, it was it was a lot easier for me to deal with that as opposed to just writing out a narrative, a trauma narrative, they call it, um, which is where you just write, you know, this is what happened. It's like it's sort of like giving a statement um, yeah. but with all the details. Um, so writing for me uh, started becoming uh something that I would go to not as much as the yoga but um when I would start to feel really overwhelmed I would start to write um and then once I had calmed down a little bit then I would go do my yoga but um it was it was a really tangible way that I could get my feelings onto a page before they disappeared and that way 
when I was on the medication and I would glance over, I could see, you know, I have feelings. They're, they're still there. Did, um, so this kind of goes into, but so because you mentioned that your recent sobriety, um, or recovery, um, how was it with the coronavirus? Um, was that when you really started writing, um, during lockdown or was it hard? Mm -hmm. It's definitely really, it's been a lot harder with the coronavirus, I think, because um, it's, I mean, we're, we're all isolated. Um, we're all distanced. So I can't, you know, I don't have those options of, you know, just walking into my therapist's office, you know, you've got a schedule or um, it's, it's been very isolative and it's been really difficult, but it's also been really good for me in the, like, in the sort of way that uh, it's forced me to deal with things instead of pushing them aside. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think one of the things, I don't know if you've ever thought of it like this or not, but the fact that you trusted the one NCO who was a male to um, be in charge of your medication, I think that has more of an impact in your healing process Absolutely. than if you would have um, given it to like a female. Oh, 100%. It absolutely has. And it definitely allowed me to sort of open back it, it kind of allowed me to open up a door um, to uh, trusting the military again. Um, I, I would definitely not say that I trusted the military 100%, but uh, sort of cracked open that door. Like, not everyone in the military is the man that raped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's so sad because I know you saw the news about Vanessa Guillen over the summer and yeah. stuff and and the problems that the Army alone is having, because mm-hmm. I'm Army, the Army alone is having with the SHARP program. And, Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's an issue throughout all the branches. Mm-hmm. And it's, for you going through this in within COVID and then going through your therapy and then probably seeing stuff like that. And then I don't know how big you are on social media or not, but seeing all the females that are coming forward and stuff, mm-hmm. I can imagine it's, yeah, I actually, it's hard to sit there and be like, absolutely. you know, yeah. do I want to stay in an organization like this? Mm-hmm. Or is this going to help me? Am I ever going to feel safe type things? Yeah. So I actually ended up having to, I just deleted my Instagram. I was spending a lot of time on it and, all the stuff that came up was sending me back down into really spiraling back down into that whole temptation of, you know, uh, self-medication and uh, kind of a self-preservation mode. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I ended up deleting my Instagram and that uh, definitely helped. Um, There's, I think it helped a lot. It was, it was hard at first because it was again another isolating move but it was I'm really glad that I did 
but at on the same at the same time I'm you know I'm so happy that uh, all these females are coming forward because I mean it's something that's wasn't talked about and wasn't dealt with and now at least it's something that's talked about yeah well I appreciate your bravery um I appreciate you coming on and talking about your story um I don't know if there's anything else you want to add um if you have any uh any words of wisdom for someone who may be having someone know someone that's going through the same thing of how they could help or someone who is struggling and they don't have the support that you want to say before we end things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say um, tough love, you know, saying the things that you don't want to say or going to people who will say the things that you don't want to hear in love is the probably one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. All right. Well, um, you said they can find your book once it is released on Amazon. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I, um, for those that are listening, I will update the description once I get a link, once it's released. So if you can't find it, check back in the description of this episode and it will be there. Or you can message me if you're someone that's on my Facebook and I can get it for you and send it to you directly. Um, I appreciate everything. Sorry for pronouncing your name wrong in the beginning. It's, okay. it's totally fine. It happens a lot. It's yeah. like the tomato, tomato it's, thing. It's, it all is at the same point. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this. It's it's so, it's really, it's so cool to see something that's not talked about oftentimes put out. Yeah, I well, I appreciate um, your bravery in uh, sending me a message because no one from that post <laughs> said anything. You were the only person, so well, I'm glad that I did. It's it's been really cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Well, have a good night, Thank Danya. Thank you. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.